Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Phil Craig. And I'm Andrew Loney. And together we aim to bring you the most scandalous stories and some of the most scandalous people in history. So thanks for joining us here on the Scandalmongers Podcast. Welcome back to Race Week, Andrew. Yes, well, exciting. I mean, we've had a very good week in some respects. A lot of interest in Lady Colin Campbell's um, podcast. A lot of controversy, too. Yes, actually. Um, one of those that really sets people talking and arguing in the comments section. Um, but yeah, with this, this program, we're recording it, but we don't actually know when it's going to go out. We're hoping it'll be, uh, in the week of, uh, Lady Colin Campbell, but we're not entirely sure because of various technical processes, which are beyond our combined talents. But it's, I mean, we've certainly seen, I, mean, I think, what has she had now? 8,000 downloads just on YouTube. Oh, yes, um, that's right. That, that's, um, we're recording this only about half a day after it went up. So it's going to be one of our most popular shows. And, you know, people love her. And it gets attention to the podcast. Uh, first time watching, says Amethyst Dragon. Now we'll look at your old videos. Um, I look so I so look forward to your podcast, says Anime Bordon, but not with this person. <laughs> well, we try and have a mixture to please everyone. But that sort of brings us on to what we're going to do next, which is to talk to Clive Irving and give a bit more perspective on the whole debate. Well, that's right. You know, Lady Colin Campbell is a divisive figure. She's polarising. She's colourful. She maybe goes a bit too far. Um, but, you know, that's the beauty of podcasting. We can talk to who we want to. And on this podcast, um, you know, Andrew and I just really want to get a range of views and explore things from all sorts of areas and try to bring a bit of fair-mindedness to these very heated topics. Um, so yeah, so with that in mind, we're going to be talking soon to um, Clive Irving. Maybe you should introduce him, Andrew. Yes, well, Clive Irving is a very distinguished journalist who had a long career on the Sunday Times and now works on the Daily Beast. 
Uh, he's written a number of books, of which I suppose the most recent is Biography of the Queen. But he's very interesting, uh, interested in the future of the monarchy. And he speaks from a perspective of someone who's in America. And I think um, it will be more sympathetic to the, the views coming from California and indeed yes. Meghan's own role within the royal family. So this is an attempt for us to, to bring some balance to, to the debate uh, and, and give another perspective, which is what we're always trying to do. That's right. Um, and of course, being in America, he's more plugged into the the, the minutiae of, of, of the way that the racial debate is, it plays out in America. And this whole subject's become you know, inescapably linked to that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you were very shrewd. I mean, you saw this was going to be a big issue and King Charles has come back uh, to, to deal with it. It's, it's, it's still dominating the newspapers in Britain. Uh, and it's clearly an issue that's not going to go away. Well, since we spoke to Lady Colin Campbell, uh, I don't know, was it 24 hours ago, there's been quite a few developments. I don't know if you saw that the, the agency, UTA, put out a statement kind of taking the blame. Did you see that? Yeah. Yes, saying, I did. Uh, yeah, well, okay, so we made a mistake. As, we, as, we, as you and I speculated, they're saying we sent out an early draft to, the, to, to Holland. Yes, well, that's, you know, it's made me look at my uh, insurance for the agency because, I mean, that's something you could be sued for a lot of money for. Um, but that okay. would explain it. But again, deafening silence from, from the Sussexes. This would be an opportunity to, to create some sort of rapport, uh, with, with the Waleses. And, and they kept quiet, which, you know, isn't helping their case. No, I agree. And, you know, without wanting to lurch back into Lady Colin Campbell's view of the world, it was a cr- terrific opportunity for Harry, especially to say, look, this has all got too much, too far. Things were said. Maybe they've been interpreted in different ways. Recollections can vary. Exactly. Um, but we need to put this to bed. I don't think any of my relatives are racists. And that would have really helped. But he yeah. hasn't. But he yeah. hasn't. Because yeah. deep down, I think he and Megan think that they are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I think he's been persuaded to, to believe that. I'm not sure he originally believed that. But um, as you say, the story has taken on a life of its own. It's very difficult to know how they can defend themselves. It'd be interesting to hear what Clive Irving suggests that they should do. Yeah. Um, because this has got to carry over into the Commonwealth, into their ability to conduct soft power. Uh, and yeah, an international thing. The royal family stand for Britain. And that's, you know, in many ways brings Britain benefits. But uh, as the world turns increasingly to talk about the history of slavery and reparations and all these issues that are very uncomfortable for many of us, um, they, they need to form a policy on this. And, and, and this kind of argument about prejudice in their own family cannot help. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's ironic. I mean, the, the debate is coming from the States. And after all, it's only within our own lifetimes that, that the race relations there were were pretty bad. Uh, with the, And, you know, it needed the civil rights movement to change things. Uh, and I think we got rid of slavery a lot earlier than the Americans did. Oh, yeah. Well, there's, that's, uh, that is true. That's often forgotten. Um, in this debate, um, digging but over the past. Are we getting some more comments? Are we getting uh, some new fans in exotic parts of the world? <laughs> well, actually, the, 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 let's have a toast to the shop. Indeed. Look at that. Two mugs. And I have news. Overnight, we've sold three mugs, not to relatives. Gosh. These are our first three customers. I've got to name check you all. Thank you so much. Jesse Attack from Harrow says that she really likes the podcast and is buying a mug. Uh, for herself, which is really nice, or maybe it's a, maybe it's a gift. Perhaps there's somebody scandalous in Jesse's life that she wants to give the mug to. Um, 
Kiva, I think I'm pronouncing this right, Kiva Sheehan from Cork in Ireland has bought a mug, and so has Diane Hutchins from the row of the swanky Park Avenue in Manhattan, New York City. So there'll be mugs with our features on them being used in three countries. Yeah, maybe Christmas. even for Christmas lunch or supper. Gosh. Well, that's great. And I, oh, I'm good. attempted by the book bag, actually. I think that could be quite useful. Oh, now, wait a minute. You've got a... one. No, no, I didn't know we had a book bag. But we do have this. This is Mrs. Crane's <laughs> Christmas present. I'm sure she'll love it. It's a little small for me to wear. Nobody needs to know. Uh, there's your Christmas. Who, Christmas want, want, who wouldn't done. want to have our faces on their chest? Actually, that sounds exactly. That sounds well, we love to hear from people what they like, what they don't like. Uh, um, you know, subjects. We try and get a range of subjects. We, we're moving off that we had recorded. I think we're three trying to move off the royals. Three programs which are off the royals. I think we're we're looking at doing maybe Wallace Simpson and maybe yep. the Oaks murder. Um, yeah, there's that, and there's a, a, what we've already recorded a cracking interview about Jimmy Savile, Madeline McCann. Um, Jeremy Thorpe, Robert Maxwell, all sorts of scandalous goodies to put under your Christmas tree. So I suppose we should go across to Clive, should we, and see yes. what he's going to say, let's, the American let's, perspective. Let's, the antidote to Lady Colin Campbell. Let's see how that goes. Bye. Bye. So, so do people guess who these the, the, the two members of the royal family were, or is they just don't think it really matters? No, they think it matters. And I think, it's a, if, if anything, it's a bigger issue here than it is there, because Obviously, they're much more sensitive here to racial issues, I think, and particularly in regard to the royal family. So I think there's a whole and, and kind of futile game going on in trying to guess who they are. Right. But, you know, they now have been named, as you know, here in Britain as the king and and Catherine. And, and, and the suggestion is it's, it's all about the sort of um, it's motivated by personal aspects rather than the truth. Well, I, I, we have the trouble. The problem with this is, as with everything, Andrew, that it is about the, the quality of the sourcing and how reliable the sourcing is. And I think that one of the points I want to make is that when we deal with these issues, we're always dealing with how the story is being told and who's telling it and why they're telling it. And as a journalist, I find that very difficult to accept because so so much of this is is. Um, unendorsed it's uncheckable that it just leaves this kind of the tabloid chase going on without any substantiation at all anything that would have been acceptable to me as an editor for example at, at the newspaper um hasn't happened with this stuff gosh so why do you think it's so damaging if if, if it's you know it can't be checked um it's damaging because it cannot be denied or confirmed. I think this is the, and it just leaves it. It's a smear technique. It just leaves a smear over it. I mean, I, I, I'm fascinated by what the possible consequences of, of this would have been. And if it was Catherine and the King and, and whatever, but what, what's the point of all that? If we don't really know, I mean, I think there are far like over here, there are far larger issues. I think and they, it, considerable concern about the slavery issue and the connection to slavery. And I, I know from my experience of talking to people in London and talking to people here, particularly the American networks here, that they're much more alert to this. And it raises a question I think all historians have to wrestle with, as well as all journalists, which is how do you deal with generational guilt? Um, it's, you know, so much of the stuff is coming out now about the plutocracy that was established on the 18th century slavery business. And uh, we've had people like Lloyd's saying that Lloyd's were the 
basically major people involved in shipping and the, the, the slave business. We know that Charles II was um, heavily invested in it and following monarchs were invested in it. And uh, therefore, a large part of the historical royal treasure of the Windsors, a large part of it was indirectly produced by the trade of uh, not just obviously the trade in slaves, but the, the, the mercantile business that, that was founded on slavery, so that sugar and tobacco in particular were the makers of many fortunes. Gosh, so um, so, so what's the reaction to the states? What, what are people saying and what are they expecting the royal family to do? Well, the Caribbean is much more proximate here than it is there, obviously, although it, historically there's a strong connection between the UK and particularly with Jamaica. Jamaica is the one to watch, actually, because I think that's where the movement is, movement is gathering pace to maybe get out of the Commonwealth. And I think that when you see um, when you see the extent at which Charles so far has been dodging the issue um, and saying, well, he's waiting to see what research comes up, it's not a satisfactory answer. It's it's very evasive, and it's often not directly coming from him. It's coming from spokespeople. It's it's, it, it's funny though. This should happen today. I don't know if you saw. It's a, it's a fairly minor story, but um, Charles is thought to have tried to kind of um, signal to the world with his the tie. Marble. Yeah, the marble. Yes, the, the, yes, that he that he would like to see perhaps the 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 the, the Elgin marbles returned. To Greece, so to address perhaps what you might say one of the historical crimes or mistakes of the British Empire, and yet well, all the time a rather bigger thing is perhaps hanging over him to do with slavery. I know, I I I, I felt that immediately because if if you're talking about Victorian cultural larceny and and it was very widespread, and obviously the British Museum is full of things that were looted from various countries, but if Charles is now wearing this literally on his sleeve as his a connection to Greece via his father, then and and he wants to support the idea, which is this is all interpretation, of course, but I think it's pretty convincing. He, he wants to support the idea of returning them to Greece. Then what about the much larger issue of um expressing some kind of similar family connection to the slave trade? And I, I it's pretty unwise to to draw attention to his um father's Greek background because obviously Philip's father was a was a playboy who retired to the Riviera and his mother was left, as you know, to be uh, on her own, basically to follow a, a life of, uh, of dedication in the church. And, and uh, I don't, I, I suspect that Charles doesn't want to be the next King of Greece again either. <laughs> no, but it's funny that you mentioned Jamaica. I think when the, the first time the allegations about the concern over the color of Megan's, child right the first time that was aired was just about the time kate and william were going to jamaica on a trip that was really overshadowed i think by that allegation and as you say the the the, the growing feeling around reparations and historical guilt and now it's come back again there's something i was going to read to you actually from a, a british commentator i'm sure you know um, yasmin albai brown yes I would say I'm going to read to you. I can't actually find it on my desktop. But essentially, she was saying this is a problem for black people in Britain and around the world because if our future queen and our current king genuinely did express a concern about the colour of 
um, a child that would be in the royal family. Yeah. That sends a terrible message to people that, that they're not valued or equal, um, whether they live in the Commonwealth or indeed in, in, in Britain. So I think it's, so from my perspective, it's, it's, it is, it's created a really big problem for them. Well, you had two of the better educated people in the royal family, William and, and Kate. They had both had very good educations. You'd have to wonder why, what, why this was left out of their education to the extent that they seemed to be surprised by the discovery, not just being told about it, but actually the discovery of the, like you have the riches of the, the riches of the British Empire, which, which they should know all about. A large part of it came from slavery in which the royal family was involved. Uh, just, <laughs> funny thing is that I, I was commentating on MSNBC at the time of the funeral, and it was I, I remember it very clearly because it was 7 a.m. on Saturday morning here, and the, the funeral was just going by St. Paul's Cathedral at the time, and um, the, the other commentators on MSNBC were talking about the medieval um the the uniforms and what the insignia meant and all the weird costumes and so on so i said um i just want to point out that they're now going past the british equivalent of wall street uh they're entering the city of london which is the major mercantile center and was the mercantile center of the empire and that, that there is a r relationship between that mercantile business and slavery and the royal family involved in it and then i talked about the um the, the Royal Africa Company and what that was about. Now, this was in the middle of this procession early on the Saturday morning, with millions of people watching. And the anchor, Casey Turr, the anchor, was a gape. And, and I thought she'll she'll wrap me up. She'll wind me up. And no, she came back and said, keep talking, keep talking. We don't know any, any of this stuff. And so uh, from that moment on and for the following week, I get, kept getting calls from MSNBC saying, can you talk more about the, the connections between the royal family and slavery? And this finally, finally culminated, much to my um, embarrassment, when I was actually watching the Queen's Coffin going into Windsor when they asked me to start talking about this again, which I had to do because they asked me to do it. And then the tabloids broke out in rage against me saying, what was he doing talking about slavery when the Queen was about to be buried? But this is not just a personal story for me. It's an indication of, of how this lit a, lit a fire under the whole issue. And since then, of course, there's been lots of new research coming up to us to confirm that that relationship was very serious. No, so I think you think you're right. this is an unfortunate accident, uh, just a mistake with the, the copy sent to Holland, or do you think this was deliberate by Scobie or, or the Sussexes to cause trouble? Because as, as Phil was saying, the timing last time was unfortunate, and maybe the timing now is unfortunate. I don't think a time is ever going to be fortunate, Andrew. Uh, do you, <laughs> I mean, is there a moment when it's going to be good timing? Do you, do you think it's plausible, though? that Kate and Charles would have expressed concern rather than just interest or maybe um, kind of half-joking speculation, what the kid's going to look like, concern. That's a bad word. Do you think it's plausible that they would have done that? Uh, honestly, I don't know. I mean, it, it's disgusting if it's true because it's such a – it would, would be a, a kind of reflex, an automatic reflex action. I think that from – other dis what other people have said from having worked in the palace that uh, and we're all familiar with this there's a kind of subconscious racism that, that is, is there for, for for cultural reasons that it kind of surfaces uh unpleasantly at certain times it's not a question of being 
of, of attitudes changing and becoming more critical about the issue. It's a question of, of a, a learning curve. And because it, the greater irony here, of course, is that the Commonwealth is such an incredibly successful multiracial organization that you wonder why the head of the Commonwealth should have such basic and primitive reactions, if that's true. So yes. what should Charles be doing? I mean, how should they respond to this? Um, how they respond is, is on anything like this, is keep dodge it for as long as they can possibly dodge it. That's what they're probably going to do, but is that what they should be doing? No, of course it isn't what they should be doing. They should be they've they've made in the past few years, they've made sort of <laughs> without any names attached to them, they've made statements about they're working hard to improve the understanding of uh racism with it both within the royal household and outside the royal household. And I think that you'd probably find that there's still a lot of primitive racism buried in the older members of the royal household but well, we had the situation with susan hussey was that was was we think that was indicative of attitudes amongst long-serving staff i know susan hussey and she's quite she's a reasonable nice lady and i knew a, a remarkable husband who was a feature at the bbc um duke hussey i i that was that was a good example i think of sort of unconscious um upper class reflex rather than a considered reaction and of course it blew up right enough i think it blew up unfairly i think she was made a scapegoat for something that was much larger than herself yeah that was interesting though for people who don't know who may not have spotted that story whenever it was nine ten months ago um very elderly distinguished lady in waiting kept questioning this woman who was dressed in sort of traditional African clothes. Where are you from? I'm from Britain. But where are you really from? Where are you really from? Uh, it's a really uh, clumsy way. And it makes yeah. your toes curl. And as you say, I don't suspect she wanted to hurt her. No, I think she was being friendly. She should have framed it in a different way and said, where did your parents come from? You know, that would be simple. That would be absolutely, there's nothing offensive about that. Or you your know, family. Yeah, Your family, yes. Yeah. No, it, it, how do you think this has played out? For I mean, how has Charles done after his first year? I mean, do you think this this is this that he's done well, and this is just a minor hiccup, or is this part of a, a, a growing problem? The hanging over problem of the first year is the loss of connection between the monarchy and the people. It's very clear. Uh, part of that is that it was an act that nobody could really follow. But part of it is Charles's lack of energy and empathy, I think. It's been striking to me how on every occasion that you watch him in public, there's a sense of his, and everybody who has worked around him knows this, that he has a sense of, of rank, of his own rank, and that there's something that has to separate him from uh, and prevents him from being intimate with in a normal way with the people around him. And, and I, 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 the coronation was a very striking example of that. I mean, I, I, he looked very unhappy throughout the whole event, I thought. And uh, <laughs> some strange things went on there. And then at the end, there's, he lost a, his temper, didn't he, at one point? Yeah. And at, at the <laughs> end, a lot of people miss this, but right at the end, as he was leaving the abbey, there's this little group of, of, um, Commonwealth, uh, heads of state who were kept shepherded into a corner and, and he's, 
he had to go and address them, but they were sort of expected to genuf- genuflect. That's what I thought, and, and they weren't genuflecting. And so he, he walked out of the abbey with a with a scowl, probably because he felt the whole thing had been been um, far too long and tiresome. But no, the the real question to me is is how can you survive losing the connection that was that has been lost and the mood music is bad because the younger under 50s and under 40s are indifferent and indifference is not that saying that they're anti-monarchist that they're just uh, apathetic or indifferent in other words the royal family and the crown plays no role in their lives that's how they see it and we have to be precise about what we mean when we say play a role in their lives because the queen did play a role in everybody's lives simply in projecting her pre- everyday presence that, that we knew she was there she'd been there for so long it was like looking at the Trafal- looking at the the nelson column in trafalgar square that is a, is a great great personage is with us every day and um that's gone now and there's unless there's a reason a palpable reason for the for the royal family to be involved in the life of the nation, that will that connection will be lost forever. Which brings me to the Scobie book, and what I, my major takeaway from it actually is not the not the race of the or the color of the skin. My major takeaway is the the rising power of William, and I think on this Scobie is probably very accurate. And I think the understudy is getting very restless because. He's 16 years older now than the Queen was when she came to the throne. Um, she was very inexperienced and, and learned, had to learn under the tutelage of um, her mentor, Churchill, for quite a while. He's done all the learning already. He's ready. Uh, at the age of 41, there's no doubt he's ready. <clears throat> so what's being asked? Is he being asked to wait until he's 50? By which time, this problem of the broken connection will have been, become so severe that maybe the monarchy might have been swept away by then. And I think that William's very conscious of this, and there's a very tense thing going on between him and his father, in addition to all the other things that go on between him and his father, the problems of parenthood and bad memories. And I think that it's interesting, for example, that the new series of The Crown um, brings us back to the Diana situation, and there's, there's so much power the best stuff in the new series of the crown is all about diana and, and it it brings such power to her role her disruptive role her suffering and her success at projecting herself the superstar quality that she had is quite and it's so well done in the crown other things are not so well done but that is well done that it reminds us of a very important thing that it was diana who put the royal family into a market the celebrity tabloid magazine market in a way that the family had never been in that market before there's a couple of good episodes about photography and for, uh, and the and the market value of pictures of diana and the number of times for example she was on the cover of people magazine in this country like every other week virtually <laughs> and from that moment on they're all in that trade now and they're finding it very difficult to deal with Interesting. But the line is that William, you know, wants time with his children. You know, he he's he's in no hurry to to become king. Um, you know, he wants his independence as <clears throat> long as possible. I don't know about that. I think that, that he he doesn't have a. That's not his choice, really. The choice is how to save the monarchy. And if if William and Kate can save the monarchy, 
<clears throat> much more effectively than than Charles and Camilla. He, that's his duty, and he, he got a good sense of his duty. I think that William is um, a very mature um, student of what goes on in the palace. And the other thing that that Charles has signally failed to do in his first year is to take a meat axe to the population of the uh, outer fringes of the royal family, and particularly to the royal household and all the palaces and all the things that he talked about when he before he was king that he felt needed doing and none of which he's done in the first year so why there's a question of his agency first of all he had to learn what he could and could not do on behalf of the government fascinating that he's gone to the climate change meeting and made this very powerful speech there um straight out of his playbook when liz trust stopped him from doing the same thing a, a year ago or, or longer than a year ago and so i think he's i think a lot of the future of the royal family might lie in the hands of keir starmer in that the Labour Party, when they come to power, will, will have a very different attitude about the family in the sense of practical money terms. Is why do they? Why does it cost all this money? And wouldn't it be much more effective if it was scaled down and d- depended less on public funding? And why do we need all these royal engagements all the time? What value do they convey? Now, Starmer, I'm sure Starmer's a monarchist um, because of his background and his conservatism. But I think that the party itself is going to be taking a much tougher line on these issues when they're looking at all that, that the severity of their budget challenges and particularly the, the quality of life of the people and how that needs to be addressed in a way that it's not being addressed by this government. And quality of life is a thing that Charles often talks about, the value of life and what you can get out of it. But how can he talk about that from a platform that is, is such a gilded gilded platform, such a hermetically sealed 19th century aristocratic world that he moves through. What about some wind what about a wind farm at um on some of the great great estates of the um of the royal family to put his money where his mouth is? That's a good Isn't idea. Imagine some windmills at Balmoral rather than shooting stags could generate yeah, yeah, some electricity. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that one of the tensions that, I mean, you know, on one hand, he says it needs to be um, streamlined. Uh, and But on the other hand, the demand for these royal engagements comes from the charities and organisations who 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 feel that when they appear, it is very useful. So it's it's the, they're sort of caught and they need the pomp and the ceremony. That's what people like. Well, people like. Yeah, I know, Andrew, people like a lot of things that 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 that, that, that they might not care isn't good for them well or, or if they disappear they might not notice it in, in effect i mean the pageant stuff is the major pageant. life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry and some well less awesome like what if you have unexpected medical costs united healthcare can help get you covered with health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Stuff is, is good for business because it brings in all the tourists. But the, the, the smaller rituals, and the obeisance and the court rituals and the sort of flunkies and the, all of that stuff that goes on every day, there's a... There's a I would say a product surplus there that needs to be trimmed. And the, the, huh. the Queen once said that Charles lacked executive ability because she was a very good executive. Um, and she was very um, beady-eyed about getting everything she could out of the subsidy system and and, and evading taxes. All the agricultural subsidies that, that she gets or got for, for the royal farming were astonishing things for her to achieve. But she watched them... She watched the whole system, so there's a sense that someone was, someone was counting, and someone was, was, was had, had hands-on management of the family and the business because it is a huge business. You don't get that sense of Charles at all. He, he seems to be overwhelmed by it all. And what's the future of Andrew then? If 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 let's say Labour feel that they need to seem to live in a less extravagant way, how how do they deal with the Royal Lodge issue? And well, Andrew's your subject, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm always happy to sit at the feet of people who know more than I do. No, but I think that Andrew is 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 kind of noises off to me. He's, he's lots of noises off, and he's irrelevant to any of these major issues because he's already out of it really, in generational terms and in relationship terms. I think it's a it's um it's a if you were to if you looked at this, you know. I know as an editor and as a journalist that if I looked at an organisation like the Royal Household and I could get somebody in there and do a real inside story, which has never been done, it would show up gross inefficiencies, gross indulgences, overstaffing, bad attitudes, bad human relations, um, a kind of uneasy balance of public duty and private splendor that needs a single ceo to shake it down and make it make it work in an entirely different way and if you were setting about finding such a person and you had two applicants one william and one charles there wouldn't be any doubt about which one you would appoint to fix the situation but aren't we getting some of this from people, you know, from books like Spare? We're getting some insights into the chaos. And indeed, many of the biographies of Charles have touched on all this and the and the and the, the, the rivalries that go on. Well, yeah, I mean that that that's what tickles my fancy too. That every time I read these these fragments, they're always fragments, fragments of, of what it's like inside there. And I think that this goes right back to something I know you care about a lot, Andrew, which is the way they control their history and the way they control their story. And it's a control based on the lack of transparency, the lack of accountability, those two things, that they're not subjected to the transparency of, of the historical scrutiny that needs to be made, and they're not subjected to the transparency of the accountability for what they do and, and how they do it. But will William really be open to transparency and accountability? From everything I'm told, he's he's exactly like his father. Well, he's been captured. I think he's been captured by the system in a way that surprises me. But I think that he would be much more aware than his father of the need to get away completely from the 19th century version 
which we're still living with today. I mean, this, you know, this is 2023. Why are we still encumbered with this 19th century lumbering, over-ornate, opulent apparatus that the public is expected not only to respect but to pay for? I'm, I'm not. I'm not agnostic on the question of the monarchy. I think that, as an institution, it's absolutely essential to the wonderful, vague way in which our constitutional work constitutional works. It keeps off, keeps the generals away, and it keeps the politicians away from the head of state role, which is it's amazingly um, effective, I think. Um, so, in terms of the institution as an idea and the, and the deliberately uh, legislated vagueness of what goes on at the center that's very very british and very very clever but it's it can only only be kept up if the people at the top including the king or the queen know which which century they're living in and charles certainly doesn't know which century he's living in but isn't this the rule of the princess of wales in some ways it's the people who marry into the family who perhaps bring a slightly different perspective and maybe are the reformers yeah, but look look at what happened to Meghan. She certainly brought in a different perspective, a very valuable one. I think Meghan could have been, the tragedy is I think Meghan could have been a huge asset to the family, particularly with, with the Commonwealth and with Africa. And Harry and Meghan tried to do that. The very, if you remember, they set them they they quite arduous in going going to Africa and doing stuff there. And they felt that they could be. But uh, it'd be very interesting to pinpoint the actual moment when they became disillusioned and they were sort of shoved aside. And, and it's all because, not because of Harry, but because of the re- response to Meghan, that they weren't equipped to deal with a self-made, ambitious, talented woman. That, that was, she was too strong in that sense. Not in the same way that Diana was, because Di- Diana was talented in very different ways. And Diana was a superstar, but not much else. Whereas Meghan is a superstar and much else. She's a, in show business, she's a very competent person. And so, how would that role have played out? I mean, if if she'd kept stayed 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 in Britain, I mean, what sort of things do you think she could have done? Well, I think the two of them together would have been a wonderful uh, contrast, a, a, a wonderful asset, to, particularly on on uh, on foreign tours. They certainly would have made that wouldn't have gone to the Caribbean without knowing the history of slavery, for example. No, I couldn't agree more, and. I've told this story before on the podcast. I was in Australia when Harry and Meghan were married, and the enthusiasm was enormous. I mean, it was enormous here too. Um, and everybody was saying just just what you're saying. What a fantastic new face and brand, and and it, yeah. it just allows them to be in different places and to carry with them a kind of ex- life experience that none of them could ever have, given their own yeah. backgrounds. And know. to see that frittered away, and you know, we've had all sorts of people talking about this, and some are very anti-Megan, and some are very pro-Megan. But whatever reason for the falling out, and whether they were petty, whether it was her behaviour, whether it was some kind of institutional racism, whatever it was, it was it was a massive opportunity thrown down the toilet. And do you think, it, do you think well, it can be restored? I mean, do you think there's any way back to to no, to, no, no way back? She's that. that She's so disaffected, and she's realised that it's a waste of time trying to get get back in there. She's no taste for that at all. So but what's her future? What's her future? Yeah. Um, well, it's tied to his future. I mean, his father is the king, and you never get over that, that, that situation. And their future is in 
I think that in 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 new media and in the streaming stuff that they do and in the in in the work what they can both talk about in terms of their own personal histories and and what they've experienced Harry's personal history is very instructive and very encouraging to a lot of very young people so so i mean is their popularity as high as it has been or has it been shaken by recent events no it's very high here it's always been very high i mean look at what the how the new york times gushed over them at at the, at the time they fled and said that the New York Times and the New Yorker and the most, the best, um, the best informed and most serious journalists took their side very early on. And that wasn't because they were worked on to do that. It was because their genuine response was that. And the, 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 the sort of satirical alt-right or whatever you want to call the South Park guys, that kind of, mockery of them that you don't think that's that doesn't mean great deal when it comes to it they're still no that's pretty cemented the, in the american kind of media yeah, that's a, system that's a bit of fun that everybody enjoys including the victims of it enjoy it too it's flattery really to to, to get into that <laughs> yes like people would pay gilray in the 18th century to, to draw an unflattering caricature of, and put him in his shop window a bit like that maybe yeah. That's true. I just got this magnificent book on Gilray, actually, the best reproductions of the Gilray cartoons I've ever seen. And it oh, reminds... is it written by my friend Tim Clayton? Yeah, and there was a, I think so, I'm not sure. He's been on our he's podcast as well. He's, he's been on the podcast. <laughs> he's my uh, oldest he, mate. Yeah, and of course, um, Spitting Image was a surprising failure, wasn't it? I thought it was so brilliant, and yet it never made a dent on the, on, on the Queen. <laughs> But do you, do you not feel that, that that Prince William is sort of working in tandem with with Prince Charles? Prince Charles realizes, or King Charles realizes his limitations, and the idea is to project the future. The future we've now got two generations uh, lined up, uh, and clearly their box office, the Waleses. So so Charles realizes that he you know he he he, he doesn't want it to appear like a gerontocracy. Yeah, I think they have worked out some kind of deal, but it's not fast enough and it's not effective enough. And I think that um, um, it's just my view, but I feel that that William can't wait another ten years. It's too late by then. It, you know, God knows where where, where monarchy will be. And I think that the, you can't the the backstory of the of the Queen um, of the Crown. Sorry, the backstory of the Crown series. And the way that Americans look at it, because Americans have been really seriously educated on the royal family and on the UK by the crown, like it or not, for all the fallacies, all the fallacies and things that are made up in it. That's the way they've learned about Britain and the royal family. And the backstory is not the royal family. It's of a country once great, going slowly downhill in terms of the loss of its power and not having found <clears throat> A role to replace the imperial role, so that there's, a, I think, to an Amer a lot of Americans watching it, they're thinking, you know, this is a sad story, not just about the royal family, but but but, but about a whole nation, and it, it's it's been brought low, and the the part of the future role of the monarchy will be not just thinking in terms of managing decline. When they talk about managing decline, decline is the wrong word. It's not a decline in terms of quality, and it needn't ever, ever be a, a decline in terms of quality because the creative inventiveness and the cultural 
strength and the scientific brilliance of, of the British is, is still very evident to everybody. The UK is popula populated by very, very talented people across a broad spectrum, whether it's in entertainment or science um, or simply new ideas, new innovations. For a country its size, it's very talented, but they fell into the trap of the Tony Blair thing about punching above your weight. And so they overreached it because of imperial impulses, and particularly with the Iraq war, that was a terrible mistake. And so I think any monarch in the future has to have, a, as any prime minister does have to have, a realistic sense of balancing the tradition and the power and the aura of what Britain stands for and the reality of actually what it can do and the influence it can have. And I think that's that's a tall order for a, a monarch and it's a tall order for a prime minister. But, but that's the way a lot of Americans have read this version of British history as they've seen it through the crown. That's a really interesting analysis. I'm not, I mean, I'm not sure I'd agree with all of it, but it, it's interesting, you know, that that's what Americans think. I mean, I guess Kate and William were the new energy, weren't they? The new face, but yeah. Kate, Kate doesn't really have the international star power that Meghan had, and she's obviously trying no. to model herself on the Queen, and people love the kids, but now she has this other thing hanging over her, this allegation, which is going to complicate her life, I think, for quite some time. Um, so I'm not sure where the future new energy does come from, to be honest. Well, then, what would be in your manifesto? What would you, 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 if you could write a manifesto for William, what would you say he should be doing, or the Labour Party? That's a very good, <laughs> you sprang that one on me. That's <laughs> a very, that's, you need preparation. Uh, Keir Starmer was busy, Clive, so we thought we'd ask <laughs> you. <laughs> I, I, in two words, get modern. Right. Right. So a lot of the flummery, a lot of the Ruritarian, Ruritanian sort of things that go on. Well, Charles was famous for this. He was married to Diana, wasn't he, with his toothpaste squeezing and his oh, losing God. his temper with the valet because they put the wrong mm. carpet in the back of the Range Rover. But I did a, I did a book of this TV series on 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 the Charles Diana marriage and some of the stories the courtiers tell about Charles's temper. Oh my God! You know they said that Diana had a personality disorder, but I, I think no, he, he had worse. I, I call it the leaking pen syndrome because the leaking pen episode to me was the was the uh, in Northern Ireland uh, that was the giveaway and and I talked to somebody who was very close to the Queen actually at, at the time about about that and and he said there will be many leaking pen episodes because yes, it's, it's, he knows that he's got a short fuse. Well, Patrick it, Jefferson, who who was a friend of ours and has been on the program, Patrick calls it the winds of temper. <laughs> yeah. And I yeah. think they all have it, Harry and William as well. Yeah, and George the Sixth. I mean, it all went back. Um, yeah, George the Sixth certainly had it. That, that very clear. And, and in fact, Andrew, I think that George the Sixth needs, needs revisiting because um, he's a very under underreported, misunderstood, and misrepresented figure uh, in both good ways and bad ways. He was very, very wobbly in 1938 and 1939. Much more wobbly than people have ever admitted. But then he snapped to it un with, with uh, under the tuition Queen of church. Yeah. yeah, and the Queen Mum. But also, yeah. I mean, we always think of him as this dutiful husband when he was having various affairs, you know, throughout his marriage, wasn't he? What? This is news to me. Yeah, I mean... It was is this serious. a new book, Andrew? Well, I'd certainly, you know, might, might consider it. But I agree, There's, there are a lot of myths around him. Uh, and, you so know... So the Queen... George... Sorry, the Queen... Queen Elizabeth's father was having affairs during his marriage. 
Yeah, but that was normal in the family, the philandering, you know. I mean, just yeah. they, they were all at it, and uh, and they they belonged to a class that were all at it. So it would have been surprising had it been otherwise, I think. And the Queen must have known about that all along. Well, that's interesting because the Queen is supposed I think to it, look, it, the Queen yeah. is supposed to have looked the other way quite a lot with Philip. And of course, yeah. Charles famously says to Diana, "Am I to be the first Prince of Wales who's not allowed to have a mistress?" Yeah, well, I mean, but also the really Queen Mum was very open. Was very sort of you know prepared to put up with it. Um, you know, she was pretty pragmatic. Golly. Yeah, well, but it's. I mean, do you think there's quite a lot of royal history that needs to be re-examined, not just George the Sixth, but because of the shaping of the narrative? I, I mean, think, Philip, for example. Yeah, I think because of the way they've stolen the nation's history and made it their own. That, that in order properly to understand the period from thirty-six to four to 40 when Halifax might well have ended up as prime minister and then sold out and that stuff about um Edward and 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 his uh connections to the Nazis but was fun. and also I've I've always I said in my book that I I felt that um that was a period in which about which a lot more needs to be known about their um alliances and their as the holders of the faith, where that what they really wanted the outcome of the of the war to be, and whether they would have beyond um, the Duke of Windsor, whether there were others who would have entertained the idea of having a quiet life under Hitler. Hmm. Well, I think unfortunately a lot of the records have probably been destroyed. But uh, there's Karina Urbach's the the, the go between in, in some ways uh, looks at that. Um, yeah, and she she told me that she she found that a great deal of stuff had been disappeared. There was no doubt about it. Quite quite small stuff had been disappeared. Yeah, you know, I think there's been a lot of what we call dry cleaning. So yeah. it looks like the subject for another interview on things. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, do you, do you feel that the monarchy really is at this critical point? That that if Charles goes on and and William you know, can't save it, that that we may be actually looking at some very different form of the monarchy within a decade. Yeah, I think we might well be looking at a Scandinavian form of the monarchy when they all get bicycles instead of Rolls Royces you know, or, or Range Rovers. That's what you want. That's what you want. So in some ways, you know, um, but you you think it's going to survive. Um, or do you think, because the voting, the, the, the sympathies now for the Republican movement just seem to be growing. Yeah, I think you say with this difference, the young. Yeah, I mean, I talk to my friends in in Australia, for example, where they they can't wait to get shot of of uh, the monarch as the head of state, and that that Republican movement in Australia is very serious. And and I I just think it. I don't know the outcome. Obviously, none of us knows the outcome. But I think that there's if they go on like in this current phase of ineptitude, as it as shown by the king. Each month that pass it passes, the situation will get graver. I think it's pretty grave already, and they don't seem to show any sign of learning from what happens and adjusting to it. And I'd like them, my my strongest feeling, I'd like them to acknowledge the 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 slavery thing first. I mean, I feel very strongly about that, and I think lots of people here feel strongly about that too. If they showed some kind of, I don't know how they. I mean, it's not a question of reparations, although that's what's being asked for, but no British government will entertain the idea of reparations because who knows where it would stop after that. I mean, how do you have reparations for all the things that were done in Africa or India or whatever? Um, but there's got to be, since the family treasure 
is in a substantial part owed to the proceeds of slavery, just get out there and say that and apologize for it and do something about it. Set up a research institute or royal historical mission to get out every detail of it and publish it in the way that that Laura Trevelyan has done, that wonderful BBC presenter, when she discovered what her own family had been doing as slave owners and discovered that that when slavery ended, they were compensated by huge amounts of money because the owners were compensated, the slaves weren't. And and she's now set up this mission to 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 to, to bring it all out. And if she can do it, then they should do it. I mean, you could argue. I mean, the Amer- have the Americans done this? I mean, after all, you've got you had segregation. And you know, right through and to through to the civil rights movement. I mean, you know, has America really come to terms with its own past? That's right, and they're doing it in a creepy kind of way. I mean, Harvard has had to do some stuff about its involvement, and there are deep, there's deep involvement, but but it's much more likely to come out here than it is to come out in, from the royal family. I think. I think I agree. I do agree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, although I think I probably would put a bigger price on the innate conservatism and inertia of the British and indeed the Australians where I used to live. I mean, I was actually a member of the Republican group there, although I maybe slightly moderated my feelings. It's less. I think, I think it'll carry on. You know, there is a, they're quite, they're quite yeah. maybe the younger generation needs to come through for that kind of change. But I think they've got a good 20 years. Uh, probably. Yeah, well. Do you think that I mean that Christopher Guide was 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 actually someone who was really thinking this through? This is the former Queen's Private yeah, Secretary. Yeah, yeah. Um, for our listeners, um, and that there really haven't been uh, courtiers perhaps of the same caliber since, and that's part of the problem. He was a very effective guy. He was he was the one who tried to manage Meghan and Harry, by the way, because he Meghan talked to him about the role she wanted to play in the Commonwealth, and particularly her African connection. And he, I think he was a great defender of, of them, of, of her at first, but he was over, well, of course, he was kicked out by, I think it was a combination of, of Andrew and and um, Charles. Charles. Yes, it yeah. was. Yeah. Because he was too good a gatekeeper. He, yeah. he, was, up, he, was, he was up to monitoring what, what Andrew was up to. And, um, yeah, he, he was certainly the most able civil servant they ever had working there and the queen knew that yeah well it was part i mean she wanted to control things and he wanted to cent- centralize it all and at the moment yeah. there's still these rival courts really yeah it's a very very interesting thing so how so are you sort of pessimistic about the next few years i mean do you do you think or do you think that somehow charles can turn it around with the right advice well, I'm much more concerned about getting the right government in place first before anything can be, be be done correctly. And then when that when that happens, then the whole question of the relationship of institutions like the royal family and the welfare of the people, that's the way I would put it. The relationship between the institutions and the continued welfare of the people needs to be completely rebuilt because it's been basically destroyed over the last 16 years. Well, I mean, people are talking about, you know, a possible 10 years, two terms of Labour, but, you know, you know, all sorts of things can happen and do. But, of course, if, if that happens, Starmer has the perfect opportunity for a much, a big sort of reset of, of core institutions. And, and I, the, I the Royals will be top of the list. Maybe he can form some alliance with William, I don't know, or Kate. I agree, I agree with that. It'll be a different Labour Party to any Labour Party we've ever seen, much more managerial, managerially competent, much less ideological, much more pragmatic and practical. 
Um, oh, yes. I like those words. <laughs> well, that's Blair, but it wasn't that what Blair offered. Initially, yes. Initially, yes, exactly. It changed, and presumably it changes with all of them. No, absolutely, that was what Blair offered, and what Blair delivered for a while too. And then it what went all went all went wonky with his relationship with uh, with George W. Bush. I mean, that idiot Bush led him up the garden path because he felt that you see the special relationship was a poisonous idea, and it come what may, blind faith had to go to war together, and that de- that destroyed his premiership. Oh, well, we're floating way out of our depths here, but got- really, really interesting to talk to you. And I think we should definitely have you back to talk about this. I'm, I'm slightly stunned at all this George VI stuff, but I'm obviously too naive. <laughs> Ill-read. <laughs> I need to spend more time with Andrew. Yeah, yeah, no, all that tabloid rubbish. No, no, I love it. Um, this is terrific. No, well, this is a very interesting perspective because it's not necessarily, particularly on, on, on Meghan and Harry, it's not the perspective... That that that's certainly being viewed in Britain. So it, it's, rather different it, to our, our friend Lady Colin Campbell, that's for sure. <laughs> yes, <laughs> takes a slightly different view, but it's, we, we're open to all views here. Yeah, we like to explore everyone's point we of view. Do. No, it's great to talk to you, Clive. Um, let's come, to, we'll come back when Starm is Prime Minister. Okay, give us a running, give us a running uh, report on how well he's doing. And when you've got that manifesto lined up. Okay, thank you, Andrew. I'll do thank- that. Thanks a lot. Great to okay. talk to you. Thanks for making time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Scandalmongers podcast. This has been a podcast world production. You can get in contact with our show by emailing team at podcastworld.org, placing Scandalmongers in the heading, or via our social media links within the show's bio. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.